Everybody, welcome to the Fear of the Phoenix podcast. My name is Brian Dickman. Jim Sarah is here with me as well. It's late on Tuesday night, January 24th, and the Green Bay Phoenix made some headlines today. The Phoenix have relieved Will Ryan of his duties as head coach. Freddie Owens will take over for the rest of the season, and the search for the next head coach will take place over the next few, well, the next few months probably, but uh Jim, we were planning to record a podcast this week, but this is definitely not the podcast I thought we were going to be doing tonight. Uh, it's kind of curious. What were your initial reactions when you first heard the news this afternoon from Jeff Goodman's tweet? Yeah, I mean, you could definitely see the um, writing was kind of on the wall here with uh, the way things were playing out. Obviously, the two and a half seasons that coach Ryan had, um, you know, didn't provide enough wins for people to really be excited, uh, not through a lack of effort or a lack of, you know, uh, hard work or any of those things. It didn't correlate to wins, but I think that most Phoenix fans who were thinking this might be a possibility weren't thinking it was the possibility today. I think the, the timing is, uh, quite surprising for most fans and, uh, quite bold from the athletic department. Uh, bold, not necessarily in a, uh, speaking about the future state of the program, bold in a bad way, just like, you know, when people don't see something coming, that's bold. So, yeah, it, it is a little ironic that, um, you know, the, the last firing took place really late in the process. Now this one is pretty much the first firing of the, uh, of the, of the coaching carousel this year. So a little ir- cruel irony there, I guess, for Will as he was on the both ends of that. But, um, you know, Jim, I like I like putting you on the spot here. So, if you had to guess, how many of Green Bay's six largest home losses happened in the past two weeks? Well, I know that there was a 58 point loss to Michigan State at one point in time, <laughs> um, but I would say four. Yeah, yeah, it was only three. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you know, you mentioned the timing and. I kind of agree with you there. I was, you could see the writing on the wall that um, it was probably going to happen. You know, part of me so badly wanted him to, to get another off season and, you know, the recruiting class is good on paper and, you know, maybe you get a couple of guys in the transfer portal or a couple of Duco guys and see what happens. But um, yeah, just the way things have kind of spiraled out of control this season, they I mean, even last season they were losing games close. This season hasn't even been close, really. So, um, yeah, just, you know, Saturday night on our drive home from the rush center, we were kind of talking that, you know, we, we didn't expect it to be this quick, but here we are. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult because you're, you're talking about, like in the case of uh, Coach Ryan and, and my interactions with him, he is a very, a very good man and he has a great family and you just, you know, it hurts to see somebody, you know, not have, um, you know, something play out the way they want to. And, and, uh, so it's just tough. And yet by the same token, as a, uh, you know, the fan podcast for the Phoenix, you know, if we're not doing a podcast today, you know, there's really not a time to, to do a podcast, I suppose, because, um, you know, the whole point of this is to talk about the team that we care about so much and what's going on with the team. So, but yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, not, not a, uh, not an ideal topic to be working off of on, uh, today. I mean, I had a whole list of funny things I was going to talk about. All the, 
uh, terrible predictions I made to start the season out. <laughs> I was going to do a few uh, mea culpas and make fun of myself. And uh, yet uh, that's, I'll still do that at the end, but that's uh, yeah. definitely not the, t- the focus of tonight's pod. Yeah, we can, we'll throw that in at the end and uh, kind of bury that part. But uh, yeah, you kind of touched on it there. Um, you know, by all accounts, Will, Will Ryan, really good person. For me personally, I know he was always really gracious and kind when, when I had the chance to interact with him, whether it was the, you know, the golf outing or um, just him joining us on the podcast a couple of times. So, yeah, really sad things didn't work out for, for him and his family. But um, like you said, it, it, it is a numbers game, and uh, I'm sure everyone listening by now knows what the numbers are, but 15 and 61 overall during his time as the head coach. They're 2-19 and 19 this year. 360 in the net out of 363. So, um, yeah, just not a deal all around. But, Jim, so let's go back and just, I guess, kind of talk to how we got to this point. And, you know, one thing I've seen a lot of on Twitter, especially by people who don't follow the program or at least don't follow it closely, is this question of why did they fire Link Darner in the first place back in 2020? You know, it, it's like there's some conspiracy or something. Some, you know, something must have happened that that's getting covered up that no one's reporting on. That why did we fire Link Darner in the first place? Well, you know, three almost three years later, we we really don't know the answer to that. But there are you know some things that you know I was looking back on it recently, and um, you know he had he had a good record. He was you know winning games in conference. Um, you know, four of the five years he had a winning record in conference, finished third twice, fourth twice. Um, I think the biggest thing that stands out to me now as a Phoenix fan and talking to other Phoenix fans is that Phoenix fans, and you had, you had told me this term one time about Green Bay that it's entitled town, not just title town. I don't think <laughs> that people knew or understood that, you know, the, the program while it wasn't having the success people thought it could, or they had seen under coach Wardle or seen under coach Bennett or at the beginning of coach Heideman, you know, that I don't think people understood it. You know, we had never had a, a bottom out. We had never as a program, like, you know, cratered, like, you know, 13 and 17 was a cratering season, you know, for the Phoenix in the, in the last 20 years, uh, you know, when it was Heideman and Kowalczyk and Wardle and uh, Link Turner. But I think, you know, you take a deeper dive, like in those years where they, um, you know, finish in the top four, they were only eight and 14 against the teams that were ahead of them in the standings, um, had a lot of double digit losses to the better teams in the league. And so they, you know, had, you know, definitely done well against the other teams, but never made you feel like, okay, well, they're tied for third, but, or tied for fourth, but they're three or four games back and losing to all the better teams pretty easily. I think that was something that wasn't undoing, not, not explicitly, but just it felt, it didn't, it didn't feel like, okay, they were that close. Uh, little did we know <laughs> now we look back on that and say, Hey, this place isn't an easy place to win. And, uh, you know, coach Sharner and uh, those guys were doing a good job, but I just think entitled town kind of crept in a little bit more than maybe it should have. I was looking at this earlier today. Um, so Link Darner was 38 and 48, I think, was the number against Division One opponents in his last three years, um, at least in the regular season. I know he had a, a CIT run in there that kind of boosted um, those overall numbers, but 28 and 26 against the Horizon League in his last three seasons. So, I mean, is that justification to fire him? I don't know, but... Um, you know, I definitely take those numbers right now <laughs> compared to what we've got. But uh. well, you know, something else about the the timing of that, like when you think about it in May, I mean, think about how little we really knew about the world that we were going to enter into. You know, we had been in the pandemic world for, you know, at that point in time, four months, and I, I would think that most people thought, oh, we'll be out of this by the summer. You know, you had the Oh, we yeah. just need this to go away like the flu does and the weather gets warm. You had a lot of like <laughs> things that, you know, turned out to be like, holy crap, did we miss the boat on that? You know, in terms of yeah. <laughs> how long it t- took to get back to normal. And so we, especially when in dealing with student athletes and the lives of student athletes and the rules that were put in around recruiting and having people, you know, traveling around and playing games and all that stuff, like, 
the timing late in the cycle wasn't ideal to begin with, and then it ended up being, I mean, monumentally worse based on the rules that were put in place to actually build a program uh, for Coach yeah. Ryan. Yeah. Yeah, just one last um, note on this link conversation. Um, it might have had to do with, you know, off-the-court stuff like attendance being down 46% from uh, his final season compared to uh, Brian Wardle's final season. So I feel like, you know, that might have been the biggest reason, you know, the the former athletic director felt, you know, bringing a, a guy with local ties, someone that can, you know, energize the fan base, um, bring in local kids that will also bring in more local fans. Um, and, yeah, just, just really didn't work out. So, well, along those lines, like the the, co- the contract that Coach Ryan was operating under had incentives for certain things like growing donation dollars, growing in attendance. So it was it was definitely laden with um, incentive for him to help find more money and grow the financial side of the program. Uh, so there definitely had to be a little bit of that. And you know the other thing too, and this is again, I'm not uh, you know knocking Coach Darner for this. Um, there were wins, you know, there were two to three games every season against non-D1 teams. And I think that fans weren't ready for that to be the norm. Again, a part of that entitled town uh, kind of thing. Like, you know, when you're whooping ass on, you know, Rockwood or whoever they, you know, <laughs> Rockford. I mean, there's like, yeah. you know, there's some random teams that came through. And people, you know, Concordia of Chicago was one that I remember them scoring 100 plus points against Stout. I don't think people understood that. And, and I'm just as guilty of this, how hard it is to schedule and how much money it takes and the fact that there wasn't a commitment from the university to put better games on the, the court. I think that also, like, people are like, mm, they're not winning that much and they're whooping butt on, you know, Sisters of the St. Mary of the Poor and not on, you know, their peers at the top of the horizon. Like, I think that perception also hurt a little bit um, and people just weren't ready for the reality of mid-major or low-major basketball right now and putting schedules together. Yeah. Yeah, so the decision came late in, I think it was May of 2020, to to move on from Link Darner. Will gets hired beginning of June. Uh, So he was already kind of behind the eight ball, just with you mentioned all the COVID stuff going on, you know, all, there's not much left on the recruiting trail at that point, um, you know, with a roster with, that he didn't really, you know, have anything to do with. So he was definitely dealt a bad hand. Um, but, you know, just kind of curious, Jim, where did it really all go wrong? I mean, we know his, uh, his philosophy was going to be build through high school kids, um, you know, local Wisconsin high school kids. And he seemed to actually do a pretty good job of that. But um, is that just a case of that's not going to work anymore in this day and age of the transfer portal? Or, I mean, why why did things get so sideways? Well, I think something that really hurt perception of that approach is losing a Kamari McGee, um, you know, because he had a very nice freshman season. Uh, you know, we don't know if Kamari was going to be the n- next Carrington Love as an example, but we know that he had a good start to his career, and then we lose him late in the off season, and so that really kind of um, peed in the campfire of those, you know, saying, "Oh, you build through high school recruits." I, I personally think you could still build through high school recruits, but the challenge in doing so for Coach Ryan is that he is coming in, you know, square one with doing that. So to get his high school guys ready is a two to three year lift before they're, you know, high level all conference type players, generally speaking. I, I use this example and I'm not saying he's as good of a coach as uh, the person I'm about to talk about, but you know, Scott Nagy comes to Wright State. He brings Cole Gentry with them and then has time to develop Trey Calvin. So he has a ready-made guy on day one and then he's developing the next guy. And you know what? You see Keaton Norris sitting behind Trey Calvin starting to hit some of those same type of shots that Trey Calvin can hit. So there's like, they're, they're doing exactly what Will Ryan wanted to do, but they're five years down the process and didn't start with all high school kids started with some more experienced, um, you know, players that were kind of ready to go and then added in, you know, some transfers that were higher impact for them. Um, So I don't know that this, it wouldn't work. I just know it's not working now. 
and may not work for another year or two while he's getting, you know, basically I get 10 of these kids in the program and then get them where they're not all in their first year. And then you've got six or seven of them with two or three years of experience ready to go. Well, just my math tells me that wouldn't have been next year either. That would have been the following year before you had enough guys, um, (laughs) you know, on that, on that strategy. And that's without having any attrition of those players, which every once in a while you get a Kamari leaves and you're, you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like that was the big downfall was not being able to, um, you know, plug some pretty big holes with, with transfer kids or, or uh, junior college kids. Um, you know, there was the, on the defensive end, the, you know, we're going to play man to man no matter what. Um, I, I don't know if, if that's really, uh, you know, no, not being able to adapt that kind of thing, you know, not even throwing in a few junk defenses here and now, you know, <laughs> occasionally if that would have made a, a difference, but, um, you know, especially, you know, look at their defensive efficiency for, for all three years and it was really bad. Yeah. You know, and, and there's a really good example of like their defensive strategy may not be the most exciting to recruit to. You know, if you think about, like, look at um, Oakland last night. I'm not saying Oakland's a great defensive team, but they limited Antoine Davis, but they literally sent two guys at him the entire game. It didn't matter where he was. He had the ball. Two people were on him. And they made him either take a really tough shot or they made him pass the ball, and they were going to live with Demise Anderson, you know, scoring 20 points. And you know what? For Oakland, they won by double digits or whatever the final score was. In Green Bay's case, they firmly believed in playing that sound man to man and, you know, having, uh, help, you know, when somebody's, uh, rolling through, having somebody come over, you know, slide over and give some help and then recover back to their guy. But that system, you know, maybe doesn't appeal to kids. Like if they're not playing up temp or, uh, you know, pressuring 94 feet, even man pressure on the ball, they're not, you know, hard trapping, you know, guys anywhere on the court. Like it's just, it's about fundamentals and, and perhaps kids lose interest in that or, you know, maybe they come from different systems and it takes a little while to, you know, figure out like, well, when do I slide over and help? When do I, you know, where do I need to be and how aware they need to be? Um, you know, the other thing too, like a lot of kids, you know, they want to play in the passing lane so they can deny passes and get steals. You know, Green Bay will let you pass the ball around the perimeter all day long because they're trying to, you know, keep you in front. And so you can move the ball side to side anywhere you want to. And, and so kids, if they're not getting steals and, you know, racking up fast break points, maybe, you know, they just don't want to play defense for 40 minutes. But then, Brian, you know, you think of like Saturday night, the first 20 minutes of that game against Robert Morris. I mean, Green Bay couldn't score at all, but their defense looked alive. I mean, you think of like Freddie turning to the crowd and waving his arms and getting stops. You think Clarence digs out that big steal at the end of the first half and he's going in for what should be the dunk to, you know, like really cement we're winning this damn thing and I'm going to go over and get another beer and have a good time. And then, you know, but so you saw signs of their defense starting to come to life, but just never could get it done for 40 minutes at a time. Yeah. Yeah. I I posted on the message board that was, uh, I mean, like you said, I I really thought we were going to win that game on, on Saturday. And, um, yeah, by the by the time we were midway through the second half, I went and found the largest beer that they had in the Rush Center, and uh, <laughs> the, the rest is history. But um, yeah, so I mean, anything else, Jim, on on the Will Ryan era, or do you should we just move along to where do we go from here? Well, one thing I mean, going um, through the rest of the season, you got what ten regular season games left plus the Horizon League tournament game. Um, you know, something that I really just want to see from the guys is um, today could not have been pleasant for them. I'm sure that they have lots of questions. They're wondering what the future holds. Hello, I'm sure schools are already reaching out to some of the better guys on the team and saying, hey, we got you. We want you. We're interested in you. I mean, that's just the world we live in. Um, but, you know, I'd love to see those guys, like, take this as a an opportunity to you know, rally and, you know, get off the mat a little bit here after these last four home games and, you know, say, look, what you guys saw was a series of, you know, the kind of the crush of the no 
you know, everybody talking about how bad they were going to be preseason and then this kind of icy nature of like everybody kind of feeling like the coach is on his way out. Okay. Well, now we, we literally have nothing left to lose. So I want to see them, uh, you know, just use it as a rallying point for their team and for themselves. And, and stylistically though, one thing I'd love to see is, you know, sending more than one guy to the glass, like against Robert Morris, like one guy went to the glass and everybody else was game back. I mean, I'd, we're getting out rebounded almost every game. I'd love to see like from a style standpoint, like making, not just saying rebound, but like making sure that we've got people getting into rebound position. That would be uh, something I'd love to see. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was going to be one of my questions actually is um, what do you think we'll see from Freddie Owens is, is it going to be pretty much, you know, the same thing we've we've seen, um, you know, the last few months, or do you think he will try and, and switch things up a little bit? Well, never been coach a head coach Owen. before, as far as I can tell. Yeah, as far as I can, as far as I can tell, yeah, it's first time. Um, coach Owens told me something once earlier this year that I thought was um, really helpful and really interesting. He said, "You coach what you know." So I, I don't know that you're going to see Green Bay suddenly do things that look totally different. Like, this isn't going to suddenly turn into Shaka Smart's Havoc or something like that, right? Like, you know, what, <laughs> what you what you have seen is what the coaching staff knows. But with that said, it is clear, you know, from where I sit at the games and hear things, um, you know, and then from being around on some of the road trips I went on, you know, it's clear that one thing you'll probably see from Coach Owens that's a little bit different, you know, Will is a, a very calm demeanor on the sideline. Like I'm actually, he, the guy has uh, received several texts over the years uh, for arguing with refs, but like he doesn't ever say anything that you would be offended by. So it's this guys with super thin skin that get annoyed from, I'd almost say for him, like, you know, pointing out their flaws as opposed to just being irrational, which you could kind of like shake your head out and be like, man, this guy's just an idiot. They're more like, you know, it's almost like they just get annoyed that he's pointing out stuff that they obviously missed. Uh, but with that said, Coach Owens, he's got fire. Like, we've seen him on the sidelines just as recently as Saturday, you know, waving his arms to the crowd, getting people into it. You hear him in the huddles, like, you know, with a lot of intensity in his voice. And, you know, maybe that is the, you know, wake-up call that uh, helps the team finish a little stronger um, than what we've seen on the court so far. But I think stylistically you're probably going to see mostly the same stuff. Because what you see is what he knows. I mean, he has a great background with a lot of different coaches that he's learned from. I mean, Wayne Tinkle, he's learned from. He's learned from um, Bill, uh, uh, the guy from Northwestern, Bill uh, Carmichael or Carmody or something like that. I mean, he's been under some really good people. But my point is, I don't think you see a lot different, too much different stylistically, but maybe more, yeah, um, more intensity from him. Um, and maybe that translates to the guys being a little more loose and a little more intensity from them too. Yeah, definitely something to uh, to watch for these, especially these next you know these next few games. Uh, we got the two game road trip to uh, Red State and Northern Kentucky. I think Northern Kentucky's first actually, and then um, IUPUI and the UWM game. So that will be interesting to watch for sure. So let's move on, Jim. To where do we go from here? Uh, uh, you mentioned Entitled Town, which is kind of funny, but um, you, you see some of the uh, already on Twitter people are are listing the the uh, you know the so-called the candidate pool and and you know everyone's throwing out names of of who's going to be a candidate. Every time you see Kent Dernbach's name, take a drink. Uh, that's that's my personal favorite one. But um, you know, <laughs> there there's something where. I looked this up early, right before we got on the call here. So Green Bay has never finished dead last in the Horizon League. Knock on wood. But um, they've only finished second to last once before last season. So they've done it twice now. And they've finished in the top 100 of the RPI in the net more than they've finished above 200 in the RPI in the net. So this is a good program. This has been a stable program. This is a program that should have a good candidate pool and it should attract good candidates, assuming the financials 
back it up as well. But um, just kind of curious, Jim, where do we go from here? I know that um, from the the statement that the university released today, they've hired Parker Search to help them out. I know that wasn't the case last time. They did not use a search firm when they came up with their uh, their candidate list. But um, just kind of curious, Jim, what's what's the next steps? Well, you know, you kind of alluded to it before about how um, this is the polar opposite where instead of being the end of the cycle, we're at the beginning of the cycle. Instead of having no search firm, they're going to have a search firm. Um, I, I really do think that the, the job is attractive and will be attractive to several people. I think, you know, before I think about what comes next, there's a couple of things that I see in the social media world from a handful of places and I, I think for any fan listening to this, I, you have to, um, what I'm about to say is, I don't want to be a jerk, but, um, there are a lot of so-called experts in Green Bay finance, in Green Bay's finances that don't know a damn thing about Green Bay's finances. You know, you're, you're talking about a program that has now spent $1.2 million on coaches that don't work here. Uh, so <laughs> there is money. Yeah. Okay. There is money coming from someplace that the school sees being worth spending on men's basketball. So they're going to come up with enough money to not make money a factor. That's my personal opinion. I also read every public report about the university's finances, and I talk to all sorts of people about all sorts of things at every Green Bay basketball game. I'm like the first guy in the building and the last guy to leave. Uh, every time, like security's always ushering me out because I'm always asking people things. But my view of the world is that the so-called experts in Green Bay's finances really don't know what they're talking about. This is not going to be a hundred and seventy-five thousand dollar, you know, offer to the next coach. Um, so that's the starting point. You have some nice buildings. You have, you know, an operating nil collective. You have an, you know, uh, you well, we had fans up until recently. You have a Phoenix Fund philanthropic arm that, you know, does pretty well. And you have kind of the, um, you know, small fish, but not in the ocean. You know, or, you know, also in a small pond, too. You know, so there is an opportunity to get, you know, significant media coverage. And then, you know, the other thing that you see, um, the state of Wisconsin is turning out tons of D1 players. We have yet to see one of those guys turn into a stud for Green Bay, but there are guys out there, you know, who are high level D1 players coming from the state of Wisconsin. Uh, you look at the impact that uh, Jackson Pavletsky is having at Wofford. I mean, you know, there, I'm not saying he would come to Green Bay or would have come to Green Bay, but like he's not, it wasn't far fetched for a guy like that to get a Green Bay offer, you know, as an example. So there's a lot to, you know, going on. Uh, but when I think of my criteria, you know, I think there's a couple of bullet points I have that for the next coach that I would like to see. Um, you know, the first thing, I think it's important for, for the person to have had some time in the number one chair. You know, at the end of the day, if you're hiring from the assistant coaching world, you might get Daniel Robinson, but you might get Pat Baldwin Sr. Like having a little something that you can point to and say, you know, because we're gonna. This is about rallying the community and and the the fan base now. Having somebody you can point to and say this guy or gal has won games before, and with the amenities, the resources, the tools, the the things that Green Bay has, they could win again. Uh, so some time in the chair would be one thing on my list. Um, I think style of play matters, but not for the fans. Having a style of play that kids want to play, you know, and I don't know what kids want to play. Like, I just know as a fan, I can watch a game and tell you what's going on. I can tell you, you know, if I like that they win, but I don't care as a fan. I don't care if we win 60 to 55 or 105 to 95. Like, it's all, all to me is a win. But whatever kids want to play, then that's the style I want to play, you know, <laughs> like, cause I want to be able to get kids. Um, that would be something. My third thing on my list is, you know, portal acumen. That is something that is, you know, it's it's part of the world. And I don't, people are like, oh, well, Green Bay didn't try to get kids out of the portal. Yeah, they did. But they, you know, were very specific for the kids they're looking for, the type of kids that they're looking for. And 
you know, they have a style that maybe not all kids want to play. And so having somebody that can get, you know, some talent out of the portal while then also still developing young players. So you always feel like you have a future and that it's not just, you know, you're not like Detroit, like who's reloading in June with guys who flamed out in other places. Like I want to feel like, all right, yeah, we, we had some pieces come in, but then we also have some young pieces that are going to be here for a while. You know, you, that's what's working with uh, UWM, quite frankly. They've got a mix of young guys, like, you know, in the rotation, and then a bunch of guys that got out of the portal. And then my last thing, um, Green Bay is a cold place, and you got to be able to sell ice to Eskimos. <laughs> you know, uh, we're, we need somebody with some pizzazz some yeah. who's going to come in, and donors are going to rally around. Who's, people are going to put money in the nil collective. Kids are going to be like, hell yeah, I want to play for that guy. I want to run through that brick wall. And if it hurts, I want to do it again. Um, you know, I want somebody with that, you know, that pizzazz, that, you know, that, that, you know, that swagger. So those are kind of the things that I'm looking at, um, you know, for the next, next head coach. Uh, Brian, what are you thinking? Yeah, I, I just want to go back real quick to, you mentioned, you know, all the things that this job has going for it and, and, um, one other big thing I think is is the momentum of the university itself. It's a uh, you know it's a growing university. Not every school in the country is is growing. In fact, a lot of them are are not growing. So, um, you know that momentum has to mean something, especially with an administration that seems to be uh, fully supportive of athletics and um, Division One athletics at that. So, um, diff, just one other thing that that makes it more attractive, I think. But um, so as far as as candidates, Jim, I don't know if you want to if you've had time this afternoon to to compile a list or anything. But, uh, you know, a a name I'm seeing a lot already just on Twitter is um, Saul Phillips, who who Josh Moon hired to uh, Division two Northern State back in 2019. And, you know, for me, this this is a guy that Will Ryan has referred to as his mentor and was an assistant under him at North Dakota State and Ohio. So I, I just don't see that one personally happening. But um just kind of curious if you've come up with any names <laughs> or a list of names yet for this. Well, Brian, before we started recording, I had uh, shared with you I didn't get a damn thing done at work this afternoon. And, <laughs> um, you know, part of that was, you know, just going over, um, you know, what's going to happen next. You know, I, I think about this program. I care about this program every day. It's not just on game day. I think about it all the time. It's uh, unhealthy, really. But at the end of the day, you know, I I, I did spend some time, well, I, you know, refresh names I've always had jotted down. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I have names. I am actually not going to give my best names. <laughs> I have people on my list that, um, you know, if given the opportunity, I would share directly with the um, leadership. But, um, yeah, I think there's names. You know, the, the funny thing is, like, so far, you know, you've, you've seen on the message board, you know, Gary uh, Foster, uh, Brian Baroni, uh, J.R. Blunt, uh, some of the names I've seen so far on the message board. I think Matt Lewis was a recent addition to the message board here in the last uh, hour or so as we've been recording this. Um, you know, so I was going to look like, down a list of like other just random people, and I haven't vetted all these names. I'm just literally throwing uh, stuff at the wall here. <laughs> um, so I, you know, if you're looking at like guys that I share in D1 right now, uh, and you're looking for people that have a connection to either Wisconsin or to the athletic director. I mean, obviously, um, Paul Sather at North Dakota, he has a connection to the athletic director, although he's not having a ton of success at um, Division One North Dakota yet, but, you know, there's a D1 coach with experience. Uh, Dante Jackson from Grambling is from Wisconsin, and he's having tremendous amounts of success. So there's a potential name of somebody who is working, isn't, in D1 is winning in D1 and isn't making more money than what Green Bay can pay. Um, so those are kind of some D1 names. Um, do you have any guys that are active D1, Brian, that kind of jump out to you? <laughs> I don't. I, I have not even looked at a list at all. This is all you. Oh boy. Pressure's on. <laughs> uh, random D1 assistants. Like I actually like that J.R. Blunt name. I think, uh, I think there's a lot that could have some legs in terms of, you know, checking a lot of boxes that people would like. 
Um, I, a lot of the boxes that I listed, I think you would check those boxes. Um, other people in the area, and again, you may or may not be able to afford these people. Uh, Roger Powell is somebody from Illinois, worked at Valpo. He's uh, currently at Gonzaga. But, uh, you know, that would be a name that carries some cachet. Uh, a random name, and again, this is more just throwing a name out there. I'm not saying this is somebody that would actually be, you know, on the list or should be on the list, but if you're talking D1 assistance at the high major level, you're probably talking Julian Schwartz is from Wisconsin, Tanner Bronson is from Wisconsin. Uh, those are other guys that, you know, maybe would be, uh, under consideration, but, um, you know, I've got a bunch of other guys that have some connections, but you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of hard to project with those guys. Uh, I did make a list of some D2 names that, you know, have Wisconsin roots and are having success. Um, you know, a name from the last search that people kind of floated was Tom Brown from West Texas A&M. I believe he was at Winona State for a long time and had some success there. Uh, another name people have floated in the past is uh, John Tharp from Hillsdale. He had done very well at Lawrence, now has built Hillsdale into a D2 power. They're ranked in the top 10 in the country, I believe. Um, they're actually, if I remember correctly, are ranked ahead of Northwest Missouri State, who basically wins the title every year. Um, and then, the, obviously, the guy from Northwest Missouri State's always a name thrown around, but from what most people think that he's waiting for something really big to come along. Um, so I don't know if he's actually realistic or not. And then the, the final name I had from D2 was uh, Ryan Thompson from Black Hills State. They are also ranked in the top 10 in the country in D2. He, South, uh, Black Hills State is in South Dakota. I think we have an athletic director that just worked in South Dakota for 10 years. Uh, so Ryan Thompson maybe is a D2 name to consider uh, because he built up Black Hill State right now to be a uh, really good team. I, were they in the Final Four last year for D2, Brian? Do you remember? do not remember. I, yeah, I think they, they were definitely deep in the tournament last year. So those are my D2 guys. You're going to have some, like, former D1 guys floating around. Um, you know, at Butler right now, you've got Maurice Joseph, who was a D1 head coach previously, now kind of working in the area, has tied some, you know, the area through Michigan State. Um, wouldn't mind the cold weather because he's from Canada. But, um, you know, there's a bunch of former D1 guys. You're going to see, like, people say names like Bruce Weber, um, you know, uh, but I think guys like that might hold out for other jobs or just not work at all because they're, you know, getting on in years a little bit. And, and maybe, you know, don't need to work for uh, a rebuild. Uh, there's a couple of, like, rehab names. I, I put these as guys who, like, need a rehab to their career. And, again, these are just names, people. I'm not telling you these are the only candidates or, like, you know, that they're even going to be considered. But uh, I think about John Brannon. Uh, John Brannon had tremendous success at North uh, Northern Kentucky. And if you think about John Brannon, uh, he did two things that would stand out. Um, one, he recruited Marcus Domask to Northern Kentucky, um, and then when he left, that fell apart. But uh, So he has recruited Wisconsin. He recruited the Madsen Twins to Cincinnati, so he's got a little regional um, cachet you know, in terms of recruiting. But you know, when you think about John Brandon, there's a guy that's one, and the only reason he's not a head coach is because you know things kind of got bad in the media for him with the players he had at Cincinnati. Basically, it was, I mean, he kind of came across as he was a, a hard ass on kids that didn't want to be play, you know, playing for a hard ass. Um, but there's a guy that needs a little rehab. And then another guy that actually got his name, I believe, kind of cleared for some wrongdoing is Kevin Ollie. I mean, now that's a, a way wild stretch, but there's a guy, you know, it's like the, the Mike Bucks Davis. legend, right? Bucks legend. And, <laughs> but he's like a Mike Davis type, you know, he got to that championship, actually won a championship for UConn. And I believe he worked, you know, he probably makes too much money working for that, uh, um, you know, prep team for pros that skip college. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, he has uh, some connections, I believe, to uh, Adidas. And I think, um, you know, if you're throwing wild names out there, why not throw out the wildest one you can find? But, uh, yeah, those aren't the guys I would actually, you know, none of those guys are my, like, my top picks. Um, but my top picks I'm saving for, again, uh, a different different day brian do you have any top picks written down you're gonna send them to uh 
to the Parker Executive Search Team, right? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Beard. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I. The ultimate rehab. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, he might need actual rehab, but uh, that, that's a different topic. But um, no, I think that's a that's a pretty comprehensive list there. I, I like it. Um, I'm sure in the, the coming days here, you're going to see more from the Twitter experts. Um, and things like that so definitely something that will be interesting to watch and uh one of the perks i guess of having the first opening is to be uh to get get your pick of the litter i guess right uh, the hardest part is going to be waiting until teams seasons end in you know a month and a half or whatever it is you know the inch, the thing about this timing from a moving forward standpoint it, it, this could really like it could be really beneficial to them or it could, you know, really blow up or it could be a non-event. Like I know that's being like, you know, like, yeah, no kidding, Jim, it could do any of those three things. But if you think about it, like by <laughs> being in it early, they could, you know, find their person early and therefore hit the process of retaining their roster and recruits early and getting into the portal early compared to other schools that are going to be moving, you know, when the season ends. So on one hand, you have a really great opportunity to, if you can find your person early, to make, you know, like really hit the ground running here. Conversely, is if you have to wait, like if you're, if the person you, you know, think is the best fit isn't available because they're still playing in mid to late March for whatever reason, whether they're a head coach or assistant coach somewhere, they're not available. The flip side of this is then we're going to be sitting here as a program without a head coach for, you know, two months and the likelihood then of retaining anything becomes smaller by the day because what's going to happen is more and more people are going to get in the ears or more and more people are going to become less patient with the process and, you know, be like, okay, well, I'm just going to get out of here. So I know I still have something. So I know what my, so I control my future as opposed to, you know, letting the future be decided for me. So this could go the other direction where, because Green Bay might, pay a decent amount of money, but isn't going to be, you know, this isn't going to be paying 750 grand and kind of having the pick of the litter here in terms of mid-majors. This is going to be, you know, a, a little bit more of a niche offering where, you know, not every person's going to be interested. So I think um, it could go, you know, the other way. And at the end of the day, you know, if you, um, you look at a guy like Bart Lundy who didn't get hired early and wasn't super late, it didn't matter when he got hired. He just came in and kicked ass. So, that's why I said it may be a non-factor. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder how, how much that made things worse is, you know, having to look down the road and see in season one they're they're in first place and we're in year three and um, almost at the bottom of the entire country when it comes to the net rankings. So. Um, yeah, well, one thing with UWM, though, it is important. Like, you think about the guys that are, like, key people on that team. They're not unknown to their coach, like, you know, one of, I can't remember what is a joke. Thomas, uh, played at Queens and they tried to get a Monran to Queens back in the day. Like these aren't guys that, you know, they just pulled out of a thin, thin air. Like these are people <laughs> they have relationships with. You think of Elijah Jameson's from North Carolina. Like these aren't just random people that, you know, showed up and then Coach Lundy was like, you know, presto, here we are winning. I mean, he, he did a good job of getting, his people there and then utilizing a couple of the returners that were fit what he does in terms of athleticism, like a Moses bowl or a Marquise Browning. So, you know, yeah, they're, they're further ahead than where green Bay has been at, but it's not, it's like a totally different, you know, way of going about it. It came in, you know, with ready to go dudes as opposed to getting dudes out of high school and then two to three years down the road or more, you know, two to three years after you get them, then having, you know, success with them. So it's a little bit different. It's a pretty good segue into our uh, our time to eat some crow, I think. Um, I know when, when we were doing our last podcast, which was, God, that was it was months ago now, but we were um, making our predictions. And to be fair, I, I think everyone had Milwaukee. You know, I think the official poll had them ninth. Um, I had them somewhere around there, maybe even like eleventh or something, <laughs> something really stupid. But uh, let me put my hand in the air, say uh, 
I was wrong. I, I still don't know if they're going to win the league, but um, they're definitely not in the bottom half. I'll say that much. And it, it pains me to say that much. It is amazing what momentum can do when you believe in something and you, you know, you, you work hard at it and, and that you see it with Green Bay, the opposite happened. Like the negative momentum really derailed things. Yeah. That positive momentum really built up a team that on paper didn't look like it was going to be that good. So yeah, I, I also have to put my hand in the air and tip my cap to, uh, Bart Lundy and say, you did way better than I was uh, thinking. But in defense, Brian, in our defense, I said it, you know, on the other podcast, even if they had the best team by a country mile, we can't pick Milwaukee. Yeah. This is the Fear the Phoenix <laughs> podcast. Yeah, they'll never be number one on this podcast. <laughs> nope. I, th- I think I had Robert Morris 11th now that I think back to it. And, um, you know, they're probably going to finish 10th. <laughs> like, I'm not backing down from that prediction. <laughs> but uh, you're right. We definitely were, were wrong on the on the UWM pick. But, um, yeah, I think that's going to about wrap it up, Jim. I, I don't know any last thoughts from you. We've we've got a pretty fun event coming up. Speaking of Milwaukee. Hold uh, on a second. I have, I have two more crow-eating things I have oh to get God. off. Oh, God. All right. Go for yeah. it. <laughs> um, so I had said – you know, Green Bay's big guys would give uh, Wright State a run for their money for the best big guys, and that you know Blake Sisley was going to be kind of not that good, oh, and t- turns out he wasn't. And I had Brendan said, Noel yeah, must have listened to the podcast. <laughs> I had said that you know AJ Braun, he's kind of like a below the rim guy, you know, skilled but like not that dominant. You know what? Turns out he's not that much better than anybody Green Bay has. But I said, and then I said, it's some guy named Brandon Noel, whoever that is, or something like totally ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I saw Brandon Noel firsthand and uh, my bad, Brandon. But with that said, Brandon, it's not all hate. I have had you on my fantasy basketball team <laughs> since week number one. I've been starting you and you are kicking butt and taking names and fantasy hoops for me. So while I may have uh, underestimated you, I quickly realized the error in my ways. And in my uh, last I think, one. I think I saw him uh, drain a, th- a corner three right in front of you and then flip you off as he was backpedaling down the floor. I think I saw that. <laughs> uh, yeah, he told me my team was number one. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Manny Patterson, All-Stars, you're number one. <laughs> that's what he was telling me. Yeah. Uh, and in my last one, I definitely – I'm not too far off on what I had said about uh, Drew Lauder being a little bit of a chucker, but he picked the best time to go absolutely scorched earth on a team when he just annihilated Green Bay at Cleveland State. <laughs> Again, I mean, your fault. <laughs> I mean, that that was Jim Saro taking, you know, grabbing victory from the jaws of defeat. <laughs> Or grabbing defeat from the jaw, yeah, victory from the jaws of defeat. But you know, like the we, that was a game that Green Bay. I was so confident was going to win. They played really well. They scored a boatload of points, and uh, yet a guy who I specifically called out on the first podcast absolutely scorched them. And uh, yeah, that was my bad. Even though the rest of the season has had some of the moments that I was, you know, kind of expecting him to have, that was an inopportune moment for him to decide to go. Um, you know, NBA level scorer on Green Bay. So those are my, uh, my bads. And then to your point about a fun event, something that you're going to see if you're a uh, Green Bay alum, you should have seen it already in their various communications. You're going to see more communication about this, but on Monday, February 6th in Milwaukee, for any alums or supporters of the program, we are hosting a pregame reception, um, before the UWM game in Milwaukee. It is from 4.30 till tip time. Uh, just help, We're asking people who are interested to sign up when you see it. Um, it's really about just networking, hearing what's going on with the university. Uh, Josh Moon is going to be there, so you can ask him all sorts of questions that he may or may not be able to answer. <laughs> um, the chancellor is going to be there. The dean of the business school is going to be there. And it's just an opportunity for people in the Milwaukee area, southeast Wisconsin, to come to an event even if they end up not coming to the basketball game, to come to an event, hear from the university leadership, know what's going on, and, you know, just 
kind of reconnect if you haven't been able to get up there or hear what's going on. A lot is going on with our university. A lot of good is going on with our university. And uh, they're bringing the, the show on the road before the uh, men's game. And then, obviously, I, you know, I'm a basketball fan. This is a basketball podcast. They have discounted tickets, $9, uh, sit in the Green Bay fan section. It would be awesome to have as many Green Bay fans there as possible. And, you know, like we said before, for the players, hopefully what happened today is a rallying point. Same thing for the fans. Like, if, you, if you've been out for a while because you weren't happy with their winning or you weren't happy about something else, um, you know, this could be an opportunity for those in Milwaukee to – Say, hey, I'm just going to, I'm going to come check it out. And you're going to realize real quick that the university does value you. Um, as an, if you're an alumni, they definitely value you. If you're a future alumni, they definitely value, uh, you know, those two. And then we just uh, want to get as many people down there for the game as possible. So that's from 4.30 to tip time. It's a block away from the arena. It's at State Street Pizza Pub. Uh, they have fantastic pizza for those who have not had any of their pizza. And, uh, it's super close to the game. So you want to walk that far on a cold uh, winter night. I love it. I'll be there. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully uh, everyone listening will come as well. Come say hi to, to Jim. Come say hi to me. Come talk to the chancellor. Talk to the athletic director. should be a good time. Um, hopefully a good game too as well. It would be nice to uh, to beat those Panthers and, and knock them off their perch a little bit. But um I think that's going to do it for us tonight, Jim. That was a lot of content there, a lot to talk about, obviously. Um, not a very fun topic, but um, here we are. And uh, the coaching search could be fun, I guess. Uh, you know, adds a little energy to the fan base. And, well, I guess we'll see where we go from here. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, Jim, for your time. Go ahead and follow Jim on Twitter, at Jim Saro. Check out his give and goes every night after the after the games. Uh, follow me on Twitter if you want at Brian Dickman, and of course uh, FearThePhoenix.com at FearThePhoenix on Twitter. But uh, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. 